We are blessed with so much giftedness in our fellowship, and we are blessed with the generosity of sharing that giftedness. My prayer, I pray that in these moments that you will pray, there's a song that says, Lord, lay some soul on my heart. Somebody that you know, to the best of your knowledge, has never accepted Jesus Christ, and you would love to see them accept Jesus Christ, I pray here that that person or more will be on your heart as you leave here, and that this message may move you and them closer to them accepting their Lord as Savior. Our text, I just quoted from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, and then we look at Luke chapter 15, which are the parables of the lost. We have three stories here from Jesus uh, of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and of the lost son. And our Sunday school lesson this morning was just a powerful lesson on Jesus as the good shepherd. And we will see in this first of the parables uh, an analogy of Jesus as a shepherd. Let's pray again. Almighty God, this message, I, I believe, is an answer to the cry of my heart and I believe the cry of many. And that is, what is our role? What do we do? How do we face the culture wars that are taking place in our nation? It's happening all over the world, but we got to start here at home. And what is the Christian response? How do we respond to all that is taking place that to many of us is unimaginable, is absolutely confusing, and it is heartbreaking? And after weeks and weeks of seeking, I have a sense of peace here of the most important role that we can play. And that is to storm hell's gates and rescue people in the name of Jesus Christ. May this word come forth in your power and forgive us of our sins. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. For the past couple of weeks as we preached and studied through the book of Ephesians and I finished it up, last Sunday night and a little bit on Wednesday night. And I thought that I would be coming in here today on Ephesians 6 and the spiritual warfare passages, but this is a message on spiritual warfare, but it has taken an entirely different shape. And as I prayed, you know, what is our response to what is happening in the streets of America? What is our response that is happening in some, some now universities, some school systems, what is happening in the halls of Congress that just does not resonate with the Word of God? And how do we respond to that? We will survey over the next few moments, Luke chapter 15, those three parables. And in the past couple of weeks, I've given you a couple of options on sermon titles, so I printed them for you here. And that is, the, the thrust of this message is to seek and to save. Jesus said, that's my mission, that's why I'm here. I am here to seek and to save the lost. 
And as he left physically the face of the earth, he gave us that mission. It's called the Great Commission, that we are to go into all of the world, teaching, baptizing, all that he taught us. But not only would this title message be Seek and Save, but friend, we're a search and rescue team. Our role in this world is to search for the lost and rescue them. And a third way to understand the next few moments is that we are the lost and found department of our nation. There are people out there lost and we need to find them in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a lot to unpack in these parables. We'll never get to all of it, but let's keep it simple. As I have, and my thanks to our projectionist today, uh, Sharon Thrift, she has revised this outline three or four times as I have wrestled with it. But to those who may not be familiar with our terminology, to those especially listening by way of radio, when Jesus uses the words that we use, those who are lost, seek and save the lost, our understanding there is individuals who have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we believe and believe that evidence bears it out that without Jesus, we are lost. And in a big part, we are just wandering through life. But when Jesus, we invite him into our heart as the good shepherd, as the lesson was this morning, He gives us life and more abundantly. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning and he gives us direction. So the interpretation of the word lost here is someone who has not accepted Jesus Christ. So point number one is lost people are valuable and must be found. They are valuable. There are three parables here. There's the parable, chapter 15 and verses 4 through 7 of the lost sheep. And I think most of us are familiar with it, so I simply paraphrase it. A shepherd has a hundred sheep. As he settles them down for the night, one is missing. And in this parable, the shepherd goes out until he finds that sheep, risking his life. Because there is a relationship there that he cares for who's been entrusted to him. And it is not enough to him that there are 99 there and one is missing. We need to keep in mind too the application of the parables here. And that is in this parable, of course, God is the shepherd. And as long as there is one missing, God is going to keep searching and looking and rescuing. Amen? Hallelujah. The apostle Peter writes that God is not slack concerning his promises. Friends, he's coming back one day, but he is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. We're the lost sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. The second parable is that of the lost coin. And it's a, a, a lady here who whatever she was doing, uh, one of 10 coins has gotten away from her and she searches diligently for that coin and the shepherd finds the sheep, the lady finds the coin and we will see all the dynamics of this. And then the third parable is that of the lost son. 
chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, of course, which we know is the prodigal son. And people here probably, many people probably don't know kind of the, the uh, English poet, the lady that writes all kinds, wrote all kinds of fluffy poems, Helen Steiner Rice, I like them. She says this parable should be entitled, not the prodigal son, but the prodigal's father. Because this, he is God. The father here, the shepherd, the lady, they are examples to us of how much God cares for us, searches for us, because we are valuable to him. Two things under this point, lost people are valuable and must be found that is demonstrated here is first, there is demonstrated a sense of compassion. The shepherd is compassionate. He is compassionate. This has touched his emotions. He is in a process of grief because one of his flock is missing and one is very, very, very valuable to him. There is a sense of compassion with the woman. And that is, this one is a little more difficult because the coin is an inanimate object. But when you study, and I was reminded here, that was not just any coin. There were 10 coins. And this one that has accidentally been dropped, whatever happened, was one of 10 in a bridal garland that she wore at her wedding around her head and the 10 coins there. It's like an engagement ring, like her wedding ring. It was a symbol of her marriage there. And now whatever has happened, maybe she was cleaning them, maybe she was restringing them or whatever, and one coin has gotten away. And that is not just any coin. It has a great emotional significance for her. And I want to tell you, friend, everybody that has never accepted Jesus Christ, they are not just somebody. They are a very important person to Jesus Christ. Amen? Yes, there are billions around the world that are followers of Jesus Christ. But as long as there's one, Christ grieves. We don't have to describe the father with a missing son. I well remember one night a knock at my door. I opened the door and there stood a man as distraught as I've ever seen a man before. And he asked me, he said, Brother Bill, has my daughter been by here? And I said, no. And he said, she's left and we don't know where she is. Thank God through the night he found her. God will never give up searching for his children. Lost people are valuable and they must be found. Jesus is the good shepherd. The woman had an emotional attachment to that coin. The father grieving for that son that no longer crawled in his bed and slept under his roof that night. And for us today, I believe that as we look at, and in a moment I'm going to bring this to a real point, and that is the things that are going on in our society, and I said this a few weeks ago and it's a real challenge. I get angry, I'm just going to be honest, 
I get angry, I get confused, I get frustrated, but I'm reminded again of Jesus hanging on the cross, looking at those, cursing, spitting, torturing him, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, and I have to keep coming back to that, because I'm telling you, these People don't know what they are doing. They have been blinded and deceived by the devil and are headed to a devil's hell unless something happens, friends. Amen? And so we must have a heart for that which to us is repulsive. But it must touch our heart. The second thing about this one is that not only is there a sense of compassion, but there is a commitment. In all of these, it says, the shepherd searched until he found the sheep. The woman searched until she found the coin. The father searched until the son came home. But he never gave up looking for him, saw him afar off, away off as he came home. I love the thought that every caravan that passed by his place, he would ask them, have you seen my boy? Have you seen my son? There was a commitment made there. And as I emphasize, Jesus never gives up on anyone that is lost. Time will run out one day, but if anybody in this building listening by way of radio has never accepted Jesus Christ and you think you are beyond his love, beyond his grace and beyond his mercy, let me say he has not given up on you. He is committed to you and went all the way to the cross. Here's that powerful question. Who's your one? The North American Mission Board adopted this new emphasis. They've had so many emphasis to try to encourage us to be aware of how to reach people for Jesus Christ. And that is just to search your mind and search your heart. Who's just one person you know that needs Jesus? Who's just one person that you really want to see saved? If there's more than one, hallelujah. But oh my goodness, just think. If every one of us, or if just half of us left here, compassionate and committed to one lost soul, friend, it would change everything in our community, our church, and everywhere to see those people saved. We need to be like the small town sheriff. Lighten it just a little bit, but get the point across. Nothing ever happened in this little town until one day, one day he got an alert from the FBI that there was an escaped prisoner in his area. And they sent him a picture. They sent him three pictures. They sent him one of the right profile. They sent him one of the left profile. They sent him one of the face right on. The small town sheriff, nothing that had ever happened. He grabbed those pictures, he headed out, and in 24 hours he called the FBI and said, you can relax, I've caught all three of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> amen, you got one, catch three, amen? Go out there and catch three. George Muller, I love to tell about George Muller, a mid-19th century founder of an orphanage that rescued children from the streets of London, kind of like a Charles Dickens novel. 
1844, George Muller sat down and wrote the names of five friends that he wanted to see accept Jesus Christ. And he was committed to them. He never gave up praying for them. 52 years later at his passing, he was still praying for them. Three had accepted Christ. One accepted Christ at his funeral and the other accepted him sometime later. Make a list. Make a list. And if it takes 52 years, never, never give up praying for them. I think of my dad. I've told you before. My dad may have been praying for a lot of people, but one that I know that he was praying for was his brother Burl. Brother Burl had never accepted Jesus Christ. Daddy and I were riding around those hills of North Georgia. He said, let's drive by Burl's and see Burl. I can see it as if it were today, and it's been a long time. Burl was standing at the end of his driveway. We stopped. We got out. We chatted. Burl never invited us in the house. That was Burl. That was Burl. He never invited us to come in. So we stood there and we talked to Burl. He was very shy. And at some point in the conversation, my dad looked at Burl and said, Burl, have you done anything about your soul? God will give you the words. That was my daddy's words. Have you done anything about your soul, Burl? Burl just looked down. He just kind of shuffled the gravel around in them red clay hills up there. And he said, no. And daddy said, we need to be thinking about it. Daddy passed in 1986. I don't know how many years later it was. But one night my mother called me and she said, you need to know Burl got saved tonight. <laughs> Woo! And I thought, Daddy knows. Because this passage tells us there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 righteous people. There's rejoicing among the angels. I believe my daddy had his one and daddy knew. Now Burl is passed and they're together. Give us that compassion. John Knox on fire to see people saved. A 16th century pastor in Scotland of all that he is known for, he is known for this cry, pouring his heart out to God. Give me Scotland or I die. We need to be on our face before God saying, give me America. Give me back our nation or I'll die. And John Knox is the one that said, one plus God is a majority, friends. One plus God is a majority. Lost people are valuable. They should touch our heart. They should cause us to commit ourselves and never, never give up. But secondly, this is so important. Lost people are vulnerable. They're vulnerable and must be found. The sheep was vulnerable out there. I looked up the words to the powerful hymn, the 90 and 9, but there was one out there, and it outlines the dangers of one little sheep out in the wilderness, out in the dark, out among the elements, out among the beast. 
Very, very, very vulnerable. And oh, there's this beautiful, more modern, contemporary picture of Jesus coming, smiling. And he's got a little lamb over his shoulders. This one says that the shepherd, when he found him, found that sheep, put him on his shoulders, went back, began to call everybody to rejoice, for I have found that which was lost. That sheep was vulnerable. The son, the prodigal son was vulnerable. Oh my goodness. He wasn't worldly wise. He wasn't savvy. He was a fool. Satan had deceived him and blinded him. You don't need daddy. You don't need this ranch. You just get what he's got for you and you go. You'll do all right. And my goodness, he wound up in about as low as he could as a Jewish boy feeding hogs and wishing that he could eat what they had. He was vulnerable. Satan took advantage of him. And he reached about as low as he could. Now, I don't know what to say, the woman and the coin, but we have to remember that the coin in the story is not a coin, it's us. And the woman may have accidentally, somehow, let the coin get away from her. And how sad that we as followers of Jesus, as in a church, sometimes We get so involved in what we do that we don't realize we are letting lost people get away from us. And they are vulnerable without Jesus Christ. They are vulnerable. They are exposed to the terror, to the terror of Satan. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I mentioned last week, Cain who killed his brother Abel. Satan played on Cain's jealousy, stirred anger in his heart. God warned him, Cain, if you'll do all right, you'll be all right. But if you're not careful, sin is crouched at the door and is ready to destroy you. The apostle Peter of all, in his self-sufficiency, Lord, I'll not deny you. Lord, I'll die with you. And Jesus said to him, Peter, you need to be careful. Satan has asked to have you, and I have prayed for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to shake you up in a bad way. Lost people are vulnerable. They are vulnerable to the wicked wiles of the devil. And here is where the analogy now, here's where my heart is. How do we stop? this insanity that has gripped our nation. How do we stand to that? I'll tell you how it is, is that we, now you be careful here, we invade Satan's camp and rescue the lost. We take his troops away. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our time doing all kinds of other things. Friends, our job, our calling, our mission 
is search and rescue a lost and found department and begin to build up the army of God in the face of evil. Say, how do you do that? Prevention. Prevention. We fix the problem, not the blame. Prevention. I had it in my notes last week and didn't get to it. And time is racing. James Dobson, so famous for Focus on the Family. When that first video series came out, he was in great demand and he went everywhere giving family seminars. And at one point he was gone for like 30 days at one time. Two small children, Ryan and Danae. His daddy, a Nazarene preacher, wrote his son. says, son, your number one role, your number one role in life is not to be a popular author, not to be a popular speaker, not to be some kind of star. Your number one role in life is to pass the faith to your children. Hey, think about that. That's your number one role in life. He said it's like a relay race. The most important part of a relay race is passing the baton. And if the baton is dropped, you have to go back and you have to start all over again. So prevention, prevention is beginning with those little ones in our house, instilling in them the love of Jesus Christ, praying for their salvation. At that point, James Dobson canceled his tours, went in a studio, recorded those videos that all of us have shown. He and his wife, Shirley, designated Thursday as a day of prayer and fasting for the salvation of their children. And so we... We need to make sure that we are sending out into this world men and women of God and thank God for our children's ministry. Nancy shared with me that last Wednesday night in our children's ministry there were 104 present. Amen. Raising up the next generation. So prevention, I need to hurry. And then there is intervention. There is intervention. If we know somebody that's headed down the wrong road, is headed down a dead-end path, is headed down with what we call a road that the bridge is out and they don't know it and they are headed, they are headed to their doom, is that God will give an open door that we can speak a gentle, loving word as Galatians 6.1 says, if you see, if you see someone caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore someone in a spirit of gentleness, being very careful that you yourself don't fall. If we see somebody either in the church or out of the church, pray for that opportunity to say, don't go any further here. Don't go any further here. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Found in another quote on John Knox, who cried out, Give me Scotland or I die. The government didn't like John Knox. They arrested him. They exiled him from Scotland to England, and there he was imprisoned. And it is reported that the Queen Mary of Scotland said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the armies 
of Europe. Now, I mean this in a good way, but we need to reach a point. We need to reach a point where what's going on in America fears the church of Jesus Christ. When we go on our knees, Satan trembles. Do y'all hear me? Am I being clear? I'm not talking in some kind of negative, detrimental, violent way, but I'm telling you what, the church is basically silent in the face of this. Too many churches just don't know what's going on. But friends, if we here will just commit ourselves to rescuing one person, what a difference it will make. And now the last. Oh my goodness. Here we go. Finding lost people is one of the first loves of the church. You say, what do you mean by the first love? If it's the first love, how can you have more than one love? Well, Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 is, a, is the angel speaking to one of the seven churches of Asia Minor, and this was in Ephesus. And you know there that the angel says to the church at Ephesus, I have one thing against you, and you have left your first love. Well, I love it when scholars get a hold of a verse like that. One scholar says their first love was Jesus. Another scholar says the first love was the church. They're not loving one another like they used to. Another one said the first love is they don't love lost people like they used to. Well, I'm telling you, friends, in what we're talking about, you can have three first loves. But Jesus is first, and if you love Jesus, I hate to tell you this, you're going to love us too, amen? Woo! And if you love Jesus and love us, you're going to love lost people. And finding lost people is one of the loves of the church. And in these parables, and oh, and when I say to our guest, our time is running out because this, it's a 30-minute radio program, but there will be joy and there will be life. Seeing people saved brings a joy to a church that is just amazing. In these parables, the shepherd says, rejoice with me. Jesus telling it says there's joy in heaven. There's joy in the presence of the angels. The prodigal's father says, you know, come on. Come on, my boy's home. Let's have a barbecue. He must have been a Baptist. All he knew to do was fry something or grill something. Amen. My boy's home. Let's grill something. That's not bad right there. And then of life. The sheep was in great danger. The son was in great danger. And the father said, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. I know of not anything that brings more joy and life to a church than seeing people get saved. I've been there. I close with this story, and I may tell another one. The radio station can squeeze it. If you hear me sounding like Mickey Mouse, you'll know what happened, okay? I'll always remember preaching a revival at a little country church out in Pierce County. Five-night revival, small church, well-attended, great spirit, loving congregation. Every night, no movement, no decisions. 
Friday night, the last night, the invitation was given and a teenage boy came down the aisle. I get chill bumps just to be reminded of it. Gave his life to Jesus. That place went crazy. I mean it. Man, they gave the welcome, shaking hands. Everybody in that church, they lined up around that church. Some good old lady was playing rockabilly music on the piano. I mean, we were having church, friends. Glory to God. And I was told later that that teenage boy was the only one, and they're way out in the country, and they're still way out in the country. Said he's the only one in the church that we know of and never made a public profession of faith. Fired that church up. And let me tell you something. I won't name the church, but they're a big church out there now, and they got a real good pastor. Oh, come on. Walkerville Baptist Church. <laughs> and they got a great pastor, and they're doing a great work. I get chill bumped, but this was 50 years ago. Oh, my goodness. And then I got to tell this. I was leaving. You know, I eat out every night. So... I was leaving the Cracker Barrel the other night, everybody in there, and I've reached a point in life where I just have to go over and say, how do I know you? Thank the Lord, this one man said, you know what, you don't, but I feel like I've known you all my life and I've never met you till just now. <laughs> and we listen on the radio, and that was a joy. I was leaving the Huddle House in Blackshear last night on the way out, this little group waved at me, and I went over there and I said, how do I know you? Because I told that guy the other night, he said he thought he'd known me all his life, and I said, well, I think I know everybody in the world, but the problem is I can't remember their names. <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, years ago I told you about my husband getting saved. This is the story. We'll just do the best. The radio can cut us off. You're here. We were on the radio live there in Blackshear. ATC, as a nice charitable thing, would then show it on cable TV twice on Thursday night. And she told me that her husband, a former husband, was, it appeared to be in his last days, and they had no communication. And she told her daughter, she said, Honey, I don't know how much longer your daddy's got, but... He's not saved, and, and you need to go talk to him. This true story told me at the Piggly Wiggly Veterans Appreciation Picnic one day. Never met her. She said, my daughter went, and she began to talk to her daddy about his salvation, and she said, honey, you don't need to worry about me. <laughs> he said, I listen to Brother Bill every Sunday morning. Said, I watch him on television Thursday night twice. It's the same sermon every time. Now just think, would you listen to my same sermon three times in a row? And then he told her, and I prayed that prayer one night to receive Jesus Christ and I'm okay. Amen? And last night I was leaving and she said, you remember me now? I told you about my husband and I said, hallelujah. And I told her, I hear stories like this all the time. Way back in the 70s on the Sunlight Hour, live in old WACL, I had a guy tell me one day, he said, Brother Bill, on the way to work, I was listening to you on the radio, and I got saved between Patterson and Blackshear. <laughs> this will bring joy and life to the church. 
And it'll let the devil in this culture know we mean business, friends. Because we're not out here to parade. We're not out here to boycott. We're not out here to criticize. We're out here to win people to Jesus. Amen. Who's your one? I'm done. James, come lead us. If you've never accepted Christ, will you do so today? And let me tell you, you know what else? If you need a church home, friend, that'll fire us up too. We'd love to have you. As we stand and sing, will you come? 480 is only trust him.